Muted TJ. <laughs> I'm sure you could read my lips there. Great lip reading. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, that was a great interview. We had a lot of fun recording. Oh, Jesus, sorry. Amateur. God. You're muted, Scott. <laughs> awesome. Well, that was... My, a- my, my, how the turntables. <laughs> yep. Better better put that in the cold open, huh? <laughs> Thoughts and, and uh, comments on that? We've got a word for that applied mine, CHR2. Now that's going uh, in the cold open. <laughs> that's... Is that um, you, Grant? You any- yeah, sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, that was weird. Welcome to the 52nd installment of the Plastic Posse Podcast, and also to our two-year anniversary. It's been a great first two years for the Triple P because of all of you out there in the Posse, but especially because of these awesome guys that are here with me tonight. We have everybody on board except for JB, who is out fighting bad guys in his cape and mask somewhere. TJ, we really missed you last time, so uh, what's new, man? Oh, not much. Just living the dream, I guess. Got some bad news today that I'm probably headed to North Carolina here in about a month, which I'm not too happy about for work. So, yeah, I got that going on. Saw that you uh, have a new uh, Mac build in progress that looks really, really sharp. Oh, thank you. Oh, which one? I have two. Oh, yeah, you got two. Well, yeah, talk to us about it. Anyone's familiar with it, I built the Oscar. It's a little hover thing it's not i guess it's technically a tank it's like a hover drone it's got a laser gun on the on it it's got the head of a uh new spotter slash lunagans i got a screaming deal on it probably three months ago from a fellow named brett a lot of uh mac builders probably know who he is he offloaded a bunch of duplets that he had and i snagged it for 30 dollars that's right three zero oh my god you stole that (laughs) which is less which is less than probably if i had to guess less than msrp when it was released i think this is a uh, i don't have the box nearby it's a 2016 boxing i think it's the only time it's been in plastic um it's awesome i love the oscar if anyone's familiar with with brian's build he he did one Oh, I don't know, three, four, maybe five years ago, Brian Krieger, his had the, I want to say it was Love Love Garden uh, interior. So his is opened up in like a uh, a shop diorama. It's really good. It's at Colpar Hobbies you know, on display in, Col- in Colorado. If you get a chance and you've heard us talk about that store, go downstairs and you can see some of Brian's awesome machine in Krieger. So yeah, I have that going. And then I have uh, the PKA Leopard. It's 2016. 
2018 release, the only time it's been in plastic. I think it was a resin conversion before. It's essentially a Melusine, uh, but a little different. It's it's one of my favorite designs. It's really cool. I got a pretty good deal on it. I think I also got it from Brett, if I'm not mistaken. I think I bought that from him as well. So I paid like next to nothing for it. So I got that cranking out. It's not for anything particular. I'm going to maybe try to write an article about it. Um, and of course, it'll be part of the group display. And then I think since the last time I was on here, I finished the SAFS Prowler in a blue, gray, and orange scheme with a light blue accents. It's really cool. That one is for something. That's for Lincoln Wright's Mach-A Report Volume 2, Lunar Combat. So I've got a couple pictures on, on Facebook. Most of the other pictures will be in that book. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I really like the paint scheme on that one. It's pretty striking. Which one of your uh, current builds uh, do you think is going to make it into the paint shop first? Uh, well, that's going to be the Leopard because it's right here. As I'm reaching for it because I just primed it right before we started recording. So it's got another nice, beautiful coat of Mr. Mahogany 1000 on it. The best primer ever. Uh, I like it better than Mr. Surfacer Black, to be honest with you. I think um, Ivan's shaking his head in... What uh, I don't know if that looks in disagreement, so I'm sorry you're wrong, Ivan, but that's just the way it is if you're disagreeing <laughs> with me. It's the best. Mr. Mahogany is the best. Yeah, it's great. It's great primer. I really like the color as well. Well, uh, it's good to have you back, TJ. Uh, Doug, what have you been up to? What are you building? Well, as I stated last time, I was doing one of these, uh, what do we call it? Bounce back build? Uh, Clean, clean slate build. Clean slate, clean slate build, build. Yeah. build. And I was going for the Yak 1B from Accurate Miniatures in 48 scale. Um, well, ran into a little snag with it. And since I, I don't really want to screw with that and have to deal with that as I'm trying to build something fast, um, I still want to do, I'm still working on it. I just have some repairs to do, some uh, gaps to fill. Uh, I pulled out the Tamiya 48 scale uh, M10 Achilles, and it is already ready for weathering. Um, it's assembled, it's painted, it's it's just, I'm just going to start weathering it tonight, and man, I'm having fun with that. And uh, I also have my uh, Machining Krieger build has started. Um, my son actually found out about it, and he's part of it. He bought me the uh, Groberhund. I'm very excited about that one. I started building it. Uh, it's it's coming along. He also bought himself the Schwarzer Hund. So we'll see who finishes first. It'll be me. And uh, we can see if we can make my son get something built up for this group build as well. Uh, that sounds great. Well, it's good to hear you're, you're still building. Grant, how are things out on the left coast? Uh, what's on your bench right now? I uh, just uh, finished up a 135th scale Tamiya R35 in uh, Romanian the turret. I'm not going to have time for a base for uh, Vegas this week. So I did a, uh, what does uh, JB call it? A tank on a plank, basically. So I uh, got that finished. Started working on a few odds and ends around here, trying to clean up some old kits that were halfway built um, and stuff like that. So other than that, it's been a, been a busy week for me for work. So I really haven't had much time at the table, but it's I'm getting stuff ready for uh, Vegas this Saturday, the 27th. We'll have about nine things there, some new, some old. So that's what I'm up to. Nice. So we'll be looking forward to seeing seeing all your builds out there, and that's going to be a lot of fun meeting you and uh, JB down there. Anyway, uh, Ivan, 
how's our favorite night owl from the UK? What are you working on? Uh, at the minute, nothing. I'm having a bit of a crisis of confidence. Uh, a million ideas and zero executions. I just, whatever I do, I just mess up at the minute. I can't seem to be happy with what I'm doing. Um, so at the minute, I've literally got nothing on the bench because I've tried uh, two clean Slayer builds and I can say the Slayer is very much not clean. I tried a Takum 116th uh, Chinese tank. I ruined the wheels on that. So now I have to find a replacement sprue somewhere. Then I was like, right, fine. I'll try a Tamiya kit. Got the Jagdpanzer L70 all built up. That looks... It, it was nice when it was in paint and now I've slapped mud on it. It looks absolutely dreadful. So now that's... Wrong. <laughs> I, I, I got to agree with TJ on this one. <laughs> you, you guys can't see it in person. It looks... Utter gutter snipe. It's terrible. I'm going to fly over the UK and bit snipe you. <laughs> it's, well, so, well, I'm not happy with it. Um, so at the minute, that's just, it's not here. So I, I've literally nothing on the bench. Um, and like I did with the M3, M4 build last year, I've already said what I was going to build for the Mac build, and I'll probably start it in another five months. So at the minute, I've got nothing. Well, sorry to hear that. Hopefully things turn around for you pretty quickly. You'll hear in our interview a little bit later, uh, we uh, have a conversation with uh, John Murphy and uh, maybe you can go have a have a beer with Spud, maybe uh, and get your mo- uh, mojo recharged that way. Yeah, that should help. Like, Luckily, there's the scale model world coming up in 80-odd days. I know it's a long way away, but that, that's always good. And plus, you, you are off to Vegas in a week. Well, most of you, so it's... That should inspire me, hopefully. Yeah, for sure. Well, I have been working on a couple of just odds and ends. I've been working on making, uh, with the help of my friend uh, Josh Buck, who's one of our Patreon supporters. He lives uh, about two miles away from me here. Uh, He's got a carpentry shop, so he made me a base uh, for a Y-Wing that I'm working on um, out of MDF. So I've been working on sanding and priming that, get it all all ready to go. And then I've also been doing a bunch of oil paint rendering on an old X-Wing build that was at 95%, trying to take it the the next 5% on that. And then uh, trying to get a couple odds and ends to take a couple of builds with me down to Vegas. Really, really looking forward to that. So anyway, sounds like uh, except for Ivan, we've been busy. So we'll all uh, cross our fingers and try to send you some mojo across the Atlantic there, Ivan. It would be greatly appreciated. The Plastic Posse is just one of several scale modeling podcasts out there. We are a member of a group of great podcasts and head over to modelpodcasts.com and you'll find links to many of them there. The Triple P is pleased to be sponsored by Tankcraft.com. Tankcraft makes some of the most fabulous scale modeling, scale modeling accessories and modeling tools for your bench. Want to keep extra thin off your bench and in the bottle where it belongs? Check out the Tankcraft glue base designed to stop glue spills. It's made from solid milled aluminum comes with a stable rubber base pad and can accommodate most square and round cement bottles. While you're there, check out their line of cutting mats and other unique modeling tools. Posse fans can get 15% off their first order using the code POSSE15. So head on over to Tankcraft right now. That's T-A-N-K-R-A-F-T dot com. It's time to send a shout out to the Posse Outriders, listeners who support the Posse by becoming Patreon contributors. If you would like to support the Triple P and become a Plastic Posse Outrider, just head over to, to our Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash 
Plastic Posse Podcast and set up a reoccurring donation there that helps us to offset the cost of bringing you the Triple P. There are three different tiers of support, starting at just a buck a month. Starting at the top are awesome Deputy Marshals, Mark Ewing, Ted Kawahara, Brandon Gentry, Jonathan Bryan, Scale Model Hanger, Chris Toadman Hughes, Model Doc, Doug Reed, Greg James, Dan Knopfel, Les Workala, B Colt 1911, John Everett, John Anderson, Josh Buck, Black Rifle Model Works, Thomas Bannock, Mark Bradley, Zach Pease, Joel Munson, Josh Orr, Eric Brubaker, David Brian Bridges, Ethan Eidenmill, Jared Cowell, J.C. Osborne, Mike Tally, Steve Baker, Bruce the Model Noob, Jeremy Moore, and Rick Cooper. Next, we have our posse foreman, Damian Rigby, Ciaran McMullen, Papa Mike Charlie, Chris McLean, Tim H., Robert Klein, Michael Libero, Greg Williams, Jack, J-A-K, Ash Whitehouse, Aaron Cook, Steve Matheson, Cody Kaczynski, David Bosman, Previous Seat, Ian Bonner, Lee Fogel, Mr. Grizz, Rob Burnside, Martin Drayton, The Voice of Bob, Steve Schaefer, Steve Munsell, Matthew Johnston, John Vitkus, Jamie Stokes, Craig Jarbo, Mike Bird, Jeremy Elliott, Mediocre Middle-Aged Modeler, Eric DeGleish, Rick Lewis, Paul Wheeler, and Eric Semmelmayer. Last but certainly not least, we have our posse Outriders. Lynn, Pat, Daniel, Warren, Neil, Jackson, Robert, Brian, Matthew, David, Zach, Ashley, and Jamie. Well done, deputies. We really appreciate your support. Whilst we're talking about Patreon, I do want to give a reminder to JB's build-along that starts Labor Day weekend in the United States. JB will be doing live streams building the 148th Tiger uh, from Tamiya, and hopefully all of you can join in, build along, and uh, it should be a great community effort. Yeah, that'll be uh, taking place over on our Patreon page. TJ, uh, let's talk about our uh, 2023 Nats uh, Matt Group build. I would love to. So uh, I'm sure listeners will remember, I think two episodes ago, we announced that we will be doing a Machine Krieger group build for the National Convention in San Marcos, Texas um, in 2023. It's August 2nd through 5th. It is off to a roaring start. Right after that episode dropped, I made a group on Facebook and we currently have 132 members and it's really cool. So if you are interested in joining the group build or following along, Find the group. It's just the Plastic Posse Podcast, Mach A SF3D group build. You and I'm sure it'll come up. We might even have it linked on the main page. I'm not sure. If, if not, I will fix that. So it's pretty cool. A lot of well-known names are in there. Brian Krieger is there, and Lincoln Wright is there. Those are the two most well well-known names when it comes to Machine and Krieger in the Western world, at least. So yeah, it's really cool. There's a lot of good work going on there. I've been posting in there a little bit. Uh, I know bunch of other people have been posting in there so a lot of work has already started and a lot of people are collecting their kits which is cool yeah so if you're interested and you want to build machine career if you like building machine career or you've never done it and you're you're interested uh join the group build and uh we can help you find kits there was a post there not too long ago about where to find kits what's available a lot of Hasegawa kits are usually pretty readily available in the United States and probably also Europe. If not, if you're looking for some of the wave releases, there's some newer wave releases available from Hobby Link Japan. And also, I, I stress this every time we talk about it, just be patient. Uh, join the Machine and Krieger Facebook groups. They typically all allow sales. And be patient. 
you will find good model kits for not terrible prices if you're just patient. Uh, don't jump at the first thing you see. If it sounds like it's too much money, it probably is. So just be patient. You'll find good deals. What do you guys think the chances are that we see more entries in this group build than our last? Ooh. <sighs> this is my I... thought. I think we're going to see a lot of guys entering two, three, four kits. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and yeah. I think we might actually see more than 70 at Nats next year. Yep. Um, we could. We could. I mean, there's a lot of people building one or two or three kits, like you said, Doug. Yeah, and and so, so since we're talking about it, um, we'll, we'll go ahead and, I guess, talk about it a little bit more. So there, there's not a lot of rules. Uh, I can't remember if we talked about them before. We might have mentioned it. So there are, there are official rules, I guess. And and I want to stress, this is not to tell someone how they can and can't build their models. You can do whatever you want. However, for this particular group build, you have to. We have to make a cohesive display, right? That's the whole point. Really, the point of the group build is to get together, build a similar thing. So the main rules are: it has to belong in the machine integrator universe so that doesn't mean you build a kit and put a black and cruise on it or a usf af usaf roundel or whatever um if you do those things knock yourself out man if that's your thing cool for this that's not what we're looking for we want it to to fit in the very vague in general narrative that exists in this universe and if you know anything about it it's really vague so it gives you tons of leeway to more or less do whatever you want i can't remember someone asked like oh can i do this camo scheme yes yes you can that crap doesn't matter does matter is you don't put flags and whatever of that kind of stuff on that is not in canon quote unquote there are no national insignia because it's super vague right um if you go to brian's website which is just machine and krieger his last name he has a are you laughing because you can hear my cat yeah yeah he's outside my door and he's <laughs> just because that's what he does just ignore him if i let him in here he's just gonna do it in here it's gonna be even louder now i lost track of what i was saying <laughs> exactly yeah so yes that's the ba- basically the rules and not just that it's anything it doesn't matter. And it has to be on a base. That's the other important part has to be on some kind, whatever it is, it's got to be on a base. Square is the best. Doesn't have to be square. I like square just because that's what I like to do, but we want everything on a base. It doesn't have to have groundwork. If it does, that's cool. Some of mine do, some of mine don't. That's, I don't know. depends on how lazy I feel when I get to that point in the build, but everything should be on a base and that's pretty much it. Uh, and it has to be one thirty fifth or one twentieth scale just because that's like the common the common scales. Someone had asked about some of the 176 scale stuff. There's a lot of resin ones that are from Japan that are awesome. I have a bunch, but just that's, they're, they're so rare that it, not very many people have them, especially in the United States and in Europe. It'd be kind of weird and we kind of want everything to be kind of cohesive. If that makes sense. So, but build those things and show them to everybody because they're freaking sweet. So yeah, please do. And just, they're, if you're coming to NATS, bring them in interim too. Just not, you know, enter them in the normal science fiction category. Okay, now it's time for the interview with John Murphy, a.k.a. Spud, or Spudmaster. JB and Scott and Ivan sat down with Spud to discuss his work, model shows, and social media. Enjoy the interview.
Welcome to another Plastic Posse interview. Today, I'm joined by John and Ivan and a returning guest, one of our favorite armor modelers from the UK. Uh, you know him as Spud, John Murphy. Welcome back to the Posse, John. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. It's good to have you back, and uh, we look forward to uh, discussing a whole bunch of uh, different topics with you today. Kind of wanted to start out maybe with uh, a little bit of a roundtable where we'll gang up on you and talk about some of your pieces that we really, really like. Ivan, let's start with you. What's one of John's pieces that uh, sticks out to you? Well, I, I had to prepare him in advance because he can't remember this one. <laughs> it's the, um, the AFE Club Mark IV Churchill with the AVRE conversion and the, the orange extinguisher. That's it, I, yep. I, I love it. I think the Churchill's such a magnificent-looking piece of armour anyway. And you've just got a style and a finish that just stands out. It's beautiful. So, yeah, just if you can remember it that far, it's, it's quite. it's an older model. It is, um, yeah. Just, just tell us a bit about that one because I really like it. Yeah, I, I, th- I think it was um, stemmed from uh, when I was in the Air Force and I was my first five and a half years were on bomb disposal and we actually had... Uh, Churchill AVRE as a gate guard at the camp. I, I, even though I was in the Air Force, uh, we were co-located with the Royal Engineers. So just seeing this vehicle sort of up on, like, uh, you know, climbing a slope on a sort of podium or plinth, just that such an impressive look to it. It was the absolutely the inspiration for, for that model. I was just saying to Ivan, you know, I, it was one of those where um, at the time the kit wasn't available. You could get, I think you could get the Mark Three, but they didn't do the Mark Four. And luckily, there were resin turrets from Cromwell and uh, Resicast, and then all the extra fittings. And it was one of those where I tended at that point in my sort of hobby to keep vehicles fairly clean. But it was one of those vehicles that just was crying out to have like thick, claggy mud over it. And back then, there were nowhere near the amount of products that we've got available today so it was really like quite hit and miss making concocting ingredients to try and get a sort of realistic mud which i think was the key to that vehicle that model hopefully sort of being successful and and working the churchill it's one of those tanks that uh, whether you think it's cool or not from a modeler's perspective there's so many you know rivets and and bolts and surfaces and you know overlapping panels and it's just so unique from a modeling perspective that it's a great canvas to work with yeah absolutely the, especially with the mark for the turret is the cast so you've got quite a rough cast texture and then you've got obviously all the flat plate of the hull but again, you've got that rolled steel effect. I really enjoyed trying to sort of differentiate between the sort of thin sheets of the massive mud guards over that vehicle and then the slab armour and then the actual texture, the cast texture of the turret. And, you know, again, didn't really have access to things like um, Mr. Surfacer. So it was all a case of thinning putties and, you know, with liquid poly and, you know, stippling them on and trying to recreate those effects. You know, if you were to compare it to a model now with all the, the latest products, if people say, oh, did you use Mr. Surfacer? I, I guess that's probably the greatest accolade you can get. But you're like, no, no, this was old school, how this was sort of made and the effects that you used. Yeah, because I've noticed on the turret, it's um, it's not exactly modulated, but you've you've gone with paint effects that there is a gradient from a light, a green to a darker. Is is that a deliberate style? I don't know if you pref- like the modulation style or if you've got your own sort of technique um, approach. I, I do actually. I, I sort of do like the modulation, not to the point where, you know, when sometimes you see someone paint a model before it's been weathered, that it actually looks like a 3D CAD drawing. 
Um, I wouldn't go to that extreme. I always think that when the model's finished, you should it should look interesting. But if someone can pinpoint the techniques you've used, then you've got it wrong. They should all sort of tie in together and all help to give that overall effect without them being, you know, you can, you can tick them off a list of what's been used because then I think you know, that if they stand out too much, then you've lost that, the look you're trying to go for. That's a really that's a really interesting perspective. I hadn't really maybe kind of thought about that as far as, you know, when you're approaching the finish of your model, you know, maybe taking that into consideration. Yeah, absolutely. I, I tend to, knowing it's that, you know, I suppose the experience you gain over the time using certain products that I'll tend to do the base colors are light. you get to a point where you think oh I've gone too light with say like a highlight on a modulation but I often find that if you go that one step further you'll get the perfect effect if you sort of err on the side of caution once all the washes have gone on and dust effects it gets lost and you think well I might as well have not used it in the, the first place so it's it's that even now I'll, I'll go right that looks I'm really happy with that then something in the back of my mind says, just go another shade lighter and trust me, it'll work, you know, when once all the other effects are on. Even now, I sort of sometimes, you know, I look back and go, oh, well, that did work. You know, I sort of shock myself, <laughs> which is terrible, really. But, um, you know, it, it's that constantly striving to sort of improve. But you, you look at something and go, oh, I don't know if that's going the right way. And, you know, I could paint a green Sherman, you know, I could do four tanks the same and each one I would be like genuinely surprised that, that it's come out okay. I think uh, you and I have talked uh, offline about the uh, toolbox that you did uh, for the your M5A1 your oh, 116 yeah. scale and just how you approach that toolbox as a completely almost separate model from the you know the rest of the kit. And then when you bring that into the build as a whole, it just it just really makes that presentation special. Yeah, and, and I must admit, with the the large vehicles, these one sixteenth scale vehicles, I've had to approach them so differently than my regular thirty fifth scale builds. And I'm doing exactly the same with the Stug, where I've basically started weathering all the tools individually and it first of all gets your eye into working on that scale and as discussed before it stops it becoming an overwhelming subject because of just the sheer scale of the vehicle so i think it's that with the the m5 that toolbox the, on the rear hull it was the a perfect size and a nice flat surface to practice the techniques i wanted to try that i hadn't really used before one of those um marbling masks and you know being told to, to keep the mask moving while you're spraying so you don't get a distinct pattern and it just gave a really sort of nondescript kind of patchiness to the paint and once i sort of achieved that then went to the sort of regular chipping and uh, rust washes and stuff once I, I, I could look at that as a model in its own right and go that's where I need to go now with the rest of the vehicle. So it was really like a, a test bed. And I've used that same approach to now working on the, the Stug, which is obviously a bigger again. Well, speaking of the Stug. Yeah, that's a great segue. So Spud, thanks again for taking the time to talk to us. You know, one, oh, of, the builds, one of the builds that really stands out to me that Scott just discussed was the Stuart, but I'd love to focus on the latest Stug that you're working on, mainly because I'm biased and I love it because I built one. But what I found that you've done is really elevated. You've taken that, you know, very straightforward dustwork kit, but you've elevated it in in regard to a different variant with a lot of different work. Can you talk through, you know, 
your approach to, you know, seeing a kit like that and then looking at the end result, like doing all the little things, you know, I think you use some AFE modeler parts on it. You've done a lot of scratch work. Maybe just walk us through your vision behind that build and then catch us up to where you are now on it. Yeah, sure. Um, The Stig's always been a vehicle that I've been interested in. I think it's that squat purposeful nature. And I've always liked the the Sturm Hellblitz with that 105 millimeter gun. Going through some reference books and seeing you know this one particular picture, and it was like that's what I want to do. That stocky uh, muzzle brake, the Sokoff mantlet, and then uh, the concrete armor on the superstructure, and then obviously it having shirts on as well. And it was like this is what I really want to do. And thankfully, I was a little bit late coming into the Stug game. A lot of people bought the vehicle before I did, and. Thankfully, Dave Parker had started to produce details and upgrades for the vehicle. So by the time I'd got to that position to start working on it, some of these sets were available, which was perfect timing. And then that gave me the impetus to then really go sort of to town on it, go through, add some great reference books. I must say that the Stug, there's a 16th scale Stug build page on Facebook and the amount of knowledge, amount of information, amount of fantastic reference photos on there made the job so easy for adding all the missing detail. And it was to the point, it was like painting by numbers. It was so easy to just sort of go through the photos and go, right, need to add this, add that. As usual, it's generally well seems some texture. I think the, the most difficult part was doing the shirts and because obviously the dust work kit doesn't come with any. Thankfully, a, a friend of mine had the Hello kit and let me borrow his kit so I could then measure all the side plates, measure all the brackets. And then it was a case of this, because it's such a large vehicle and the weight it's got to hold, a new plastic card wasn't going to really be man enough for making all the brackets. So I ended up trying to get some brass strips. I could not find anywhere that supplied three mil wide brass strip. So I ended up having to buy some six mil wide and ridiculously carefully with a set of tin snips, cut down the length of a six mil. Holy cow. I didn't know you did that. Yeah. And and as I was cutting the, the, the piece I didn't need was just curling up beside the tin snips. Probably the one, the two parts that I was most pleased with was the way the concrete armor came out on the superstructure, which was just milliput, which if if I could give anybody advice, don't try and mix it all in one go and do it in one session because the milliput <laughs> took about a week to go hard because it was so <laughs> so thick that it was like lesson learned. And then, yeah, it was a case of uh, once I'd got all the, the details uh, added, uh, I then there was a company, I forget the name of it now, saw online that did uh, 16th scale 3D printed tool clamps, which were just perfect for upgrading all the tools uh david parker really kindly let me have a jack block and a fire extinguisher which made a huge difference you know for the on vehicle tools and i got to the painting it's ready for paint then always always like to spray gray primer because to me once you before you've added primer and you've got a basic vehicle with all the different uh, materials on it it never seems to unify until you've got a coat of break gray primer and you could see the detail stand out or you could see any mistakes you've made and it becomes a, a hole. Um, and I tried to spray some Dunkel Gelb straight over the gray and it just went really dull and lifeless. So obviously you see a lot of the guys, you know, where they base coat the models in some unusual colors and then put the top coats on in almost like translucent layers. 
not really wanted to go down the road, road of sort of painting it pink and orange and stuff underneath. But what it did do was just give the vehicle a coat of white. And then when the, the AK real colour, I sprayed that on, it really gave a nice, bright vibrancy to the Dunkel Gelb and didn't kill it and make it look really flat and lifeless. And then, yep, yeah, uh, again, used the AK range to do the modelled camouflage scheme based loosely from what I could see from the original black and white photo I had that I based this vehicle on. And then, obviously, just the last couple of days, I've been practising or attempting to do the mud on the, the tracks Again, great with social media. You know, you post a picture up of this is where I'm going and I've kind of lost direction. And had some fantastic feedback, feedback, lots of lots of great ideas and suggestions. Some uh, a little bit iffy, but um, but you know, the, it's nice that you get the so much feedback. So you know, taking all that on board, kind of got a, a, a mix of products that seem to work, and I'm really pleased with the tracks on now. On to one side of the lower hull, which I've now done all the basic mud effects there and then it's the old usual you know you add i'm so pleased with the way the muds come out and then i'm going to put shirts on on the sides of it and most of it will disappear and you'll never never to be seen again but nice that's that's what we do yeah (laughs) just in case you want to leave one of those uh, shirts and sections off you know I think I'm going to have to, yeah, just purely just to sort of, because I was so pleased the way the the mud came out. (laughs) Forgive me if I'm wrong, because I imagine you use the AK Real Colours, Duncan Mm. Gelb, yeah. I imagine that was a a, a few bottles to do that entire month. It was. um, I think it was two, actually. Wasn't there a mismatch of colours? Like, did they not match one bottle to the the next bottle? I can't remember Um, if that was your build or not. That was my build, Ivan. No, (laughs) that was your build. Yeah, that was my (laughs) build. Mine were okay. (laughs) Uh, yes, I, I knew it was. I knew it was. I knew it was a John. <laughs> With a I, I, must, I must admit, when I saw John's, um, be, you know, I, I was kind of bimbling through my build, and then all of a sudden, I just see this stood completely finished, and it was like, what? No, no, like, yeah, but it was great because it gave me the impetus to. Get, get cracking with mine. That, that's my build now, by the way. Right, I saw right. that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Spider, I had to finish mine first because if you finish yours first, mine would never live up to it. So I had to throw <laughs> mine out there, and then you can supersede it as the new, as the standard. So I, I yeah, had to, and- I had to get mine out there before you steal all the attention. Yeah, thanks for thanks for all the extra pressure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I love you know one of the things that you're doing on it that I. I am just floored by is the track work and then the mud on the tracks. You know, one of the things I struggle with is definitely that texture and you showed a great picture of kind of the different materials you use, but what really, and this is a super technical question for the interview, but like what you showed on the tracks, you had the grass, the tea leaves and some texture in the track pad. It's, you know, in the crevice, but the, the, um, you know, the outside of it where contacts, the ground was clean. And I loved how that looked. I, I would just like to have you briefly talk about like, how did you, you know, achieve that effect? I'm thinking in my mind, like, did you stuff, did you cover the whole track and then like run your finger over it and clean it? Or were you very specific in each track applying that mud? Just curious. I, I actually was specific in each track link and it seemed a great idea when I started. <laughs> and then, you know, it's that thing you've got you know, a pair of close-up glasses on and you're focused on that small section that you're working on. And then you go and sit back up. And at my age, my back gives in after a while. So I kind of straighten up. And then you take that look along the, the workbench and you've got another two foot of track still that needs every link filling with <laughs> that mix. And you're just thinking, you know, and, and it made me think, right, okay, I've got shirts and I don't need to do the bottom of the run. 
I don't really need to do the top of the run, but then you've also got that sort of Jiminy Cricket on your shoulder going, no, don't do that. You, you know, do it <laughs> properly. If you're going to, if you're going to do it, do it properly. So yeah, I, I just had to work my way through because initially I'd used one product and the, the reason I was wanting to do this mud in the, the recess areas of the track was because the Daswark track is a little bit shallow. Um, yeah. And obviously I couldn't really justify, they look fantastic, the T-Rex tracks, these 3D printed tracks, but they are an awful lot of money. Super and, expensive. Uh, yeah, and I just think, well, that's another kit there really. Initially when I, I was trying to fill in each one of those sort of almost like the shapes on each link, it just didn't look right. And, you know, it, and I couldn't then, progress because i wasn't happy with you know the base effect so that's why you know went on facebook and sort of posted a couple of pictures got all the feedback and then from there it gave me that sort of motivation and guidance and and to be honest it was it was lester plaskett who said use the tea leaves they'll really really bulk out the the ak terrain product that i was using and then obviously the seagrass so you, you know the balls of seagrass and just cut that up into very short lengths and I just used an old thin brush and just would scoop a small amount out of the pot that I'd mixed it all in and then just literally plop it into each recess and then just tamp it down and then move on to the, the next link. Once I'd got all of the track done, I then just used a, a piece of old T-shirt dipped in white spirits and then just basically went across the whole, along the whole length of the track and it took any unwanted products off of the you know this sort of contact point the ground contact points i've still to paint those yet all they are is just in the original color that i painted the tracks in because i used uh, mr hobby and uh, one of the tamiya lacquer paints thin with self-leveling thinners it's really durable so i've actually wiped those tracks several times as i've done all the speckle effects and you know washes and each time i've wiped none of that paint has, has come off so it's actually quite an, it's quite a nice base effect for where I'll probably I'm probably going to test the link because I'd like to do a polished metal effect but without it looking too bright and stark so that's that's probably going to be my next experiment uh, before moving on John I'm I'm still trying to figure out the part where he wasn't happy <laughs> with yeah. the effects cuz he posted the pictures on Facebook and asked for feedback and you know the way he described it is like it was a mess I'm looking at it going Damn, I wish my tracks looked like that. <laughs> I think it's that when you've got a picture in your mind's eye. I think also I've got a really as as good a knowledge of mud as anybody from having raced motocross bikes since I was a kid. So you know I've spent virtually every weekend plastered in mud. So I've had like a really close, and obviously I've crashed my bike many a times and slid through the mud. So I've got got a real good close hand view of it. So um, so I had this kind of the the effect I was wanting to recreate, but I was trying to be clever and just use a product out of the jar without modifying it purely for the fact that, you know, it may be a few days before I can then carry on with the next section. So it's knowing that you've got a product that you can open back up and you're going to get exactly the same color, same effect, but it just didn't work. And it was a case of sort of where I was trying to be clever and a shortcut. You know, I was like, no, I need to mix something that I know I'll really be happy with. And I'm so glad I've I've done that now. And the photos I posted up, it was all still wet. So it, it looked great because it looked like wet mud, but now it's dried and it's gone matte. So I've now speckled it with several different shades and I'm now, I've now got an effect that I'm like really pleased with. And I've now then transferred those same effects onto the sides of the hull. So 
I almost treat the vehicle as two, two parts from the ground to the top of the suspension. That's one model. That's where we, you know, you, the mud effects and dust and dirt. But once I'm happy with that, I then feel like I've got the confidence and then carry on with the rest of the, the vehicle, which is the bit I'm really looking forward to on this one. You know that uh, your relationship with mud and dirt biking, that makes sense to go back to the M5, the 16th scale M5, the mud on your hedgerow cutter. I just, that's all, again, in like the the toolbox, the hedgerow cutter is one of my favorite parts of that model as well. And it's because that mud just looks so spot on. Oh, thank you. That that was, I think I'll probably quote it before. That was a, that was definitely a Bob Ross happy accident. I, you know, I just looked like a, a, a mad scientist in a laboratory. I had so, you know, a MIG, AK, Vallejo. I had so many different products in front of me and I was just scooping bits out of all of them and mixing them all together. And I was thinking, I've got the perfect mix. And then I was looking and I'd realized I'd been mixing acrylic based products in with enamel based products. And, <laughs> you know, putting it all on the vehicle and I was thinking, this is fantastic. And then it was. A week later, it hadn't dried. And I was like, oh, okay, but, it, but thankfully, it has dried over time. Like so, uh, but it was one of those. It was like, right, I need that's the, the effect I need to recreate on the stug, but just be a bit more mindful of what I'm sticking brushes into, and you know, just to get that perfect concoction. I've I've been lucky over the years. Uh, made some real blunders, but I've seemed to have got away with it, which has uh, been uh, pleasing. Will we expect to see the Stug at Telford? Uh, yes, hopefully it should should all be done for for Telford. Nice. John's making the trip just for that reason. <laughs> yeah. Only for that reason. It's really bad because I've, I'm, you know, when you're on a roll, I've actually got a 30 second scale Ravel Spitfire I've got to make for an XRF friend who wants one as a kind of leaving, we call it a gizzit, a leaving present. And that needs to be done by the beginning of September. And, you know, I kind of, I look at the Spitfire, which, okay, I've got as far as the cockpit. And then I look at the Stug and then the poor old Spitfire just gets pushed to one side. And I'm like, no, oh, I'm going to have plenty of time. And I, I'll end up being one of those. I'm going to be like, I'm going to be on Pro Plus and working for straight 48 hours over a weekend to get that finished. But, uh, <laughs> Well, I want to uh, steer us uh, to another one of your builds. This one's a, a more recent build, but your uh, Australian Centurion Mark V uh, slash one. Man, just the the rust on the exhaust, the stowage on the back of that tank, and then more than most models that have kind of an overall really heavy dust tone. I think you've really, really nailed that. Like like few models that I've seen. Can you oh, talk about you. talk about that one? Yeah, sure. Um, this one was um, Chris Meddings from uh, Inside the Armor Publications wanted to do a special issue book. For the owner of AFE Club, who unfortunately, you know, sadly, very, you know, passed away. So it was basically a, a tribute to AFE Club models. Um, so I was asked if I'd like to contribute, and I built pretty much the same vehicle years ago and gave the model away to a friend of mine who actually builds the one sixth scale radio control tanks. And he'd done the very same vehicle that I'd done in 35th scale. So I gave him my 35th scale one. So it's been a vehicle I've wanted to put back into my collection. And this was the perfect opportunity. It was a you know, set of all model tracks that 
you know, go without saying that they, they make such an improvement over the kit tracks. Um, set of resin wheels from Sovereign 2000, Death Models mantlet, and uh, and then yeah, just sort of cracked on with that. Again, keep on about Facebook, but there's you know there's a page for everything on Facebook, and there was a Centurion Appreciation Society. Lots and lots of incredible colour photos of Centurions in Vietnam. So I just started screenshotting these pictures. And the one thing I sort of noticed was that they pretty much weren't covered in, you know, familiar red dust that, you know, everybody associates with Vietnam. It was a case of, I thought I'd look into this a bit more, go on Google Maps, uh, so on Google Earth, and you can zoom into the areas of operation and you can see the roads and see that they're in the areas that these vehicles operated in. And uh, so I could, I could get the colour of the, the, the dirt right just through looking at you know, these photos on Google, Google Earth. Mainly what I've tended to do on a lot of the more recent vehicles is once the main colours are on, I'll do an initial spray with life colour, very, you know, very translucent finish, and I'll, I'll do an airbrush dust spray that on and because I thin it with water it takes a few minutes to sort of really sort of go off and I found that you can airbrush the dust on and then if you get a clean brush with some white spirits you can then start wiping some of that paint off to get like a a, an irregular patchy finish instead of obviously something that looks like it's been airbrushed and you've got a few minutes working time and it's weird that the white spirits will actually lift this life color paint and I've used it on the last few builds and it seems to, you know, it, it works for me, you know, cause normally they always say all white spirits won't affect an acrylic paint, but with the life color and water, instead of using their thinners, um, you can actually almost, it gives you the same effect as if you've done like hairspray effect or, or, you know, chipping fluid. That's an interesting hack. I haven't heard of that before. Yeah. You told me that spot and I've, I've been wanting to try it because I love the really fine dust kind of patina that you create and especially you can see on the centurion i think it's really hard with kind of tan with dust on top and i think you nail it in that regard and you'd sent me some pictures and i was like holy cow i i wouldn't even thought of that and i think you know i have some builds here that probably warrant that experimentation and i i just think it's again it's a great example of just experimenting and things that you don't think will work could potentially work and and this is a great example of acrylics with wearing that that subtle effect with mineral spirits that won't attack the base finish so i i think it's awesome i'm certainly going to try it and the effects that you've achieved with it certainly show that it works really really well so i'm i'm it's it's on my docket for the next build uh, thank you what i tend to do after once i've got those that uh initial acrylic dust effect sort of to a point where i'm happy with i'll then go to i'll mix up white spirits with oil paint and pigment so i tend to, to sort of find a pigment and oil paint that are complement each other you mix that into a paste and then you can work that into all the corners and recesses i find that the pigment gives you the texture the oil paint gives you that really really smooth graduation from a heavy build up to to nothing you know if you obviously pre-damp the, the surface with white spirits and you'll find that you get a nice long working time because obviously it's oil paint based um, and you can manipulate it once it dries, the oil paint acts as like the bonding binding agent to make it rock hard. And you'll still get that granular texture. And the thing is, if you don't like it, you can, before the oil paint's gone off completely, you can re-wet it and you can move it around until you, you're happy with the final result. So it's, it's one of those, it's like a fail safe. I know I, I get a consistent result with it. 
I've always been sort of happy with it. And it gives a, you know, that perfect combination of slow working time and really, really subtle effects. And it's something I, you know, I've used for the last, well, quite a few vehicles. And it's sort of my preferred technique really for doing dust. The the overall effect, the feel of that model, whether it's your rust tones or the soot or the especially the dust, everything is really, really soft and blended. I mean, it's a model that I would just absolutely love to see in person because even in photographs, which I think tend to be overly harsh, the model just looks very, very, I don't know, John, what's the word? I'm, it's really blended and smooth and, and it just yeah. really has a legitimacy to the weathering layers. Yes, it's, I think that's the one thing most people say with my models, whether it's my photography, I know my studio lights aren't great, they're quite old, um, and they tend to sort of kill the life in, in the model. They're quite flat, the, the, the lighting. But most people say that it looks much more subtle in, in the flesh than it does in the photographs. And it is quite frustrating when, you know, only a few people get to see a model in, in the flesh and most people get to see it, you know, in a, in a book or a magazine or online. And, you know, you think, well, it's not really what it looks like, but, you know, it's one, it is what it is. But hopefully, yeah. uh, JB, you'll be able to see them when you come over to Telford, hopefully. I'm excited. I cannot wait. And maybe this is a good quick segue as we think about Telford meeting up there. For our listeners that are at Telford, where might they be able to find your work? Is it going to be on a SIG table? Um, it it will be. That's sort of up in the air at the moment because uh, we've got some plans for the club. We're hoping to be in the first hall, which tends to have the best lighting. The Of the three halls, one of them's got a very new white bright lighting and the other two are almost that sodium orange based lighting which um you know unless you've got your own lights on the stand if you're using the lights within the hall any sort of subtleties in a lot of models tends to disappear you know um, because that lighting just it can often turn everything like a strange brown khaki color if it's a if it's a green model which is a bit of a shame since we're uh, talking about telford um obviously i think the last time we had you on it was only a short time after uh telford last year it was yeah which I thought was actually a really good show considering the circumstances and it was quite last minute and up in the air. How do you see this year's Telford going? Like, what do you expect? I think it will be back to pre-COVID days, I would say. And from the the sense I've got is a lot of the Europeans now want to come back because there was obviously a lot of travel restrictions, a lot of problems. But I think even when we were in uh, the World Model Expo in Eindhoven the other week, uh, a lot of the European guys were sort of looking forward to coming back over so i think it'll be you know as as big and as you know old as it's ever been and i think it'll be a really great weekend that's awesome you know maybe one question this is a a random one i guess you know when we look at the uk we look at the shows that are there obviously telford is a huge one you know it's it's really sad that you know you're a military you used to attend that a show i did yeah yeah that was that was my favorite show God, I, you know, I, that was like a goal as a kid to go there and see the work because I always, when you think of the best of the best, that, that was the show that rang true to me, you know, back in the early 2000s. And, you know, a lot of the frequent names from Missing Links would turn up there. And awesome. I, I just always found it inspiring to see stuff from that. Do you foresee maybe the UK having a show like that again in the future sometime? Or, you know, I see Ivan praying to the, uh, <laughs> to the modeling gods. You know, that's something I would love to see. It, it would be great. For the foreseeable, I unfortunately don't think it's going to happen. A couple of guys did get together and tried to relaunch Euromilitaire and they had a 
fairly successful couple of years doing it, but it it just felt like there was something missing, you know. And I think now, uh, like a prestigious UK show has been taken over by the likes of like this World Model Expo, the SMC yeah. show, KMK yeah. show. Those are the ones. You know, the, the, the clubs are organising, the guys are they're so professional, they do such a good job, the venues are fantastic. And I, I guess being on continental Europe, it makes it far more accessible for a lot more of the modellers, you know, where obviously the UK being an island does generate its own problems from that. You know, it, yeah, th- those were the great days. I, You know, I remember being in Euro in sort of in the 90s and, and the social side of it was absolutely fantastic, you know, and then you go and, you know, the competitions, all the traders back in the early days of sort of, well, before really sort of online ordering, it was the one place you could go and see all of these really cool products that you'd hear about and see in the magazines. And they were there for you to look at in the flesh. And, you know, as with most models, once you see something in the flesh, you think, I've got to go and buy that, you know, and it was just an absolutely amazing weekend that you know you came away with a real buzz and to be inspired as well you know if you entered the competition and you knew you were judged by uh, your betters and peers so you know whatever award you got you you, know, you really felt like that's what you deserved and you know you could actually speak to the judges you know and sort of say oh how could I improve what could I what could I do to sort of make this what would it needed to have been silver or gold and it and and i think i took an awful lot away from that and you know it sort of gave me a really good grounding for the rest of my sort of hobby and for you know when it was my career as well i want to i want to double down on that um john i mean one of the things that those of us that kind of want to look at how we can make american contests and competitions better i mean that you know the social part of the show is always the best we'll talk about yeah. that that in a bit but to make the competitions better is this idea that i have i'm i'm putting together a show it kind of in my area and really focusing on making sure that the modelers are treated like customers and they have an experience where whether they win an award or not, they walk away from the show feeling like, A, their work was competently and fairly evaluated, but more, even more importantly, that they got feedback that helped them grow as modelers. I mean, you know, maybe how, how do you feel about that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think a lot of that, you know, we see it in the UK with the regional shows. It will be the organising club will basically rope in some people to do judging. And, you know, without sounding awful, they're not really best placed to judge some of the classes and they may not really know what they're looking at, what they're looking for or the work and the techniques that have been in you know, used on a, on a particular model. So I, I think having judges really that are kind of well-known and well-respected makes a huge difference. You know, when we've, I think we've all been there where you've entered a competition, you're really pleased with the model you've entered. It doesn't get anywhere. And you look at the ones that have been awarded something and you just think, wow, are they, are they looking through the same set of eyes that I've been issued with? And <laughs> and then, you, you you know, you can all, often see their own models, the person who's judging, and it's just, it's a little bit like, oh, okay, right. And and then what happens then? You think, you know, I won't bother entering again. And that's happened so often. And so many UK shows don't tend to have competition now. I think maybe that has a factor to it. Obviously, there's probably other factors, funding money and, and stuff like that. But, you know, if you've, when you feel you've been judged unfairly, it can it can put people off. And if you can't then have a chance to sort of speak to these people and say, well, why didn't I, you know, if you think you, your, your model deserved it, 
the award. And can you explain to me why that model there you felt was better than this model? From my own experience, a long, long time ago at Euromilitaire, story I've recounted a couple of few times, is I did an Opal Blitz workshop truck, uh, all opened up. I had a lathe, pillar drill, there was swarf and grease and, you know, uh, springs sticking out of the driver's seat, a dustpan and brush, all scratch built, and it didn't get awarded. And there was two GMC trucks and they were awarded above my, my Opal Blitz spoke to the judge and he quoted i don't like german vehicles and that's why and it was like oh okay thanks for that you know so so if i just painted it green i'd have been wow Uh, yeah so so and and you know that was getting off 30 years ago that that's kind of stuck with me all that time and it's a story i've you know i have recounted numerous occasions and that can have a long lasting effect on people whether they decide to you know enter competitions and which you know it's a way of progressing the hobby and you know and i think it's very short-sighted if they don't have good people judging that you feel that you've that yeah it's been justified yeah it's really sad you know i think shows are an absolute amazing experience it's just sad that small instances like this you know it could be just a 30 second conversation with an individual and it can leave a lasting effect on the person and their viewpoint not only of the society of the show but ultimately of the hobby as well you know there are countless examples out there of people that have put themselves out there asked for help you know just ask for simple feedback and it's met with you know it's it's met with strong um, you know, just a strong response. And like you said, your example is the perfect example where a flippant comment like that can influence someone, honestly, for the rest of their lives. And that is something that, you know, we just don't need that in the hobby. You know, what's important is what are we doing at the end of the day? And it's promoting the hobby that we all love and enjoy. And, you know, part of the show, the nationals, you know, on any continent, you know, shows in general are, you know, the crown jewel of, of the hobby and exemplify why we do this. And it's, it's not for the little token we get at the end of the day, but the people that come and the work that you can appreciate. I'm so excited to experience Telford because mm. of the SIG area. Like yeah. that is something that we just don't do here. You know, some some contests have tried it and it and it's done okay. But you know, I think it's an American mentality towards competition. But I'm so looking forward to seeing that aspect going through the hall, seeing the different clubs, the groups in which, you know, there's a US Air Force SIG that I've heard is awesome to yep. go visit. Yeah. You know, the, the checks are there, like all these different cultures, the diversity of subjects, the diversity of people. I think that's what excites me most about going to see Telford and hearing you talk about it is 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 awesome. And then like there's that just that little side of the, the show that always kind of, you know, it rubs people the wrong way, but it leaves that lasting impression. And that's where I hope that, you know, we can get away from some of those things and, and focus on really what matters. And, and that's the most, again, that's why we do this. And I really appreciate your perspective, Spud, because, you know, coming from someone that's, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you a little kudos. You know, you're, you're a very well accomplished modeler and, you know, your work is, <laughs> Thank you. you know, stands alone in a lot of cases. And to see you experience that is, is just a little, um, a little disheartening too, you know, hearing a flipping comment like that. So, yeah, um, it's just weird. I, you know, I, I, it's one of those, obviously it's different from, uh, in the, the US, the UK shows. It's, Often sad to see that you walk around a, a UK show where you've got all the SIGs, the club stands, and there's better models on the club stands than that have been entered into the competition because people just go, there's, there's no credibility with this competition because of the way models are being judged or who's judging those models. So you just think, I'd rather just leave them on the club stand. People can come up and say, oh, that's a nice model. How did you do this? How did you do that? You know, people get more satisfaction out of that and discussing the techniques they used or the, you know, the paints and products they used rather than putting it out there, you know, 
for it to be put into the line of fire. And, you know, when, uh, you know, I've seen and heard it so many times when people have put an outstanding model on, which you, you go, oh, that's best to show there. And it's got nothing. All you hear is the room or the, the, the murmur of people going, well, that, that you were robbed or this, that and the other. And again, as we've said, people just go, I won't bother entering anymore. And that's yep. happened so often. And like say, when there's better models on the club stands and they're in the competition, that's that's speaks volumes. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess one quick question about Telford, these SIG groups, you know, is there any exchange, you know, of like, are there theme awards that they exchange amongst themselves or do they? The, okay. Yeah, there are. Yeah. So, so some of the clubs will actually do these uh, like their own little individual awards. And sometimes, you know, you can come back to the stand and someone will have placed a, a little award next to a particular model. Just That's saying, cool. we thought that we thought this was the coolest you know, uh, Michael Mass is uh, a great advocate. The, the chap who owns Desert Eagle Publishing, who does all the Israeli armor books, um, he'll he'll go to the show. Uh, he often attends, and he'll come back, and and there'll be a, a medal with a ribbon next to an Israeli model. And it's you know, it's 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 really cool. You know that you that it's nice that they've walked around, spotted an Israeli vehicle, really liked it, and and given a little award for it. And it's it's a, just a really nice personal touch. Yeah, that's that kind of thing has started to happen at the IPMS Nationals where, you know, there's a small group that distributes little coins and just essentially gives recognition to a model that might not win an award in the show, but it, it spoke to that individual who who passed it on. And, you know, there's there's also groups passing out stickers like the Model Geeks did that, which was really cool. And it's it's a little form of recognition outside the mm. contest where I think, you know, some people value that even more. It's like, and, and I certainly do when someone's like, man, that's a great build. That's inspiring. That goes way more than, you know, know anything else and having a cool conversation with an individual next to their model having them speak passionately about it is you know that's why we do it and it's like mm. exactly what we're doing here just you know in person which i'm looking forward to in november yeah it's just like when it, last year's show ivan and i sat down for you know hour and a half or so just talking models and talking you know discussing my models that were on the stand and it is, it's just really nice and when, when you talk to someone who really enjoys a hobby and you can hear the passion in their voice when they're discussing what they've done how they've done it and it's it is sad when that can be muted by you know say like a competition and and if someone's been given a, an award without needing to put the model on the competition they might not have they they might not feel brave enough to want to enter it because you know the lack of their confidence in their own abilities when actually they've made a really really nice model but yeah. whether they've heard stories you know, that have been handed down and, and it could be enough to to put them off so the fact yeah. that someone's put an award there and just gone i really like that and it's enough that i always think in a small way they get that award they're really pleased it makes it inspires them to go and build another model go and buy the products buy the kit and and it all helps keep our hobby going you know exactly and, and flourish Exactly. It's, it's not, it's, it's everything. It, it's exactly what you said. It's, it's a positive experience that motivates you to, to buy more, to support, you know, not only corporations, but people like David Parker who are building, you know, super unique items, high level of accuracy, like all of that. I think all of that kind of goes into, you know, what emanates from a show. You know, I, I think all of us spend probably the most money it shows, or at least get an idea of something that I'm going to go home and just order everything for this kit. And that's and right. that kind yeah. of like momentum is good momentum and it's it's and it's fantastic for the hobby and i we talk about mental health and of course we're not professionals but 
I truly believe that that helps with individuals themselves, making them feel happy. Like that's the key to life right there. And I think this hobby, like what you've talked about, and that's why I'm going in November. I am beyond excited to meet you, see your work, sit down with me, you and Ivan, grab a drink at the pub. We'll get Ivan some, you know, fruity, uh, Jenny drink and we'll have have a brew, but you know, like that, like I, I am just ecstatic to know that, you know, in a few short months, I'll be sharing a table with you. And it's, it's all about that happiness. And if we get to go to Bovington, like it's it's like that's why we do this, and you know shows enable it, and and I think there's a place always for maybe a competition. I don't want to say we should get away from it. Um, I do think it can evolve. So you know there's there's many aspects to the show. Uh, certain things you know stick out more than others, but yeah, I I love your your feedback on you know Telford, and I, I'm just jealous I wasn't there last year with you and Ivan at the table, but I'll be there I, this year. Yeah, it was really. Good. I, I I must admit uh, the. Having uh, experienced, uh, I went to the US IPMS Nationals in Columbus, Ohio, when I was working on military miniatures in review. And I was quite surprised that there were, there were no like SIGs and club stands, you know, and the only models there are in the competition where yeah. you, you walk into Telford, you go in through the, you know, the you know, front of the show to the halls, and you're just, you know, the first thing you see is just a sea of models on all the, the club stands and then go into the other two halls. And, you know, th- there may be, you know, a thousand models in the competition, but there are times 10 in the rest of the, you know, so there's so many models to look at. Mm. And, you know, even you, know, you can, you feel like you've, you've covered everything over the two days and then you start seeing the photos where po- people have posted them up online and you think, no, I didn't see that one. Didn't see that one. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I'm worried did about. Just, two days. Did I, just, yeah, did I walk around in my arms? Well, shut, you know, and, well, yeah. and, and to what you're saying, there's, there's also format differences like, JB and I went to a show in Seattle at the Museum of Flight and that was a display only show and the fact that there wasn't any competition there um, allowed modelers to bring a whole bunch of their work and maybe similar to a SIG, Mm -hmm. put it all on a table and then John and I could walk through with the modeler and say, okay which one was the first, which one was your your latest and you could see things like progressions in their work and how their work was evolving. Absolutely. Yeah, and Certainly over here, you've got obviously the SIGs and then you'll have the, the clubs as well. So you've not only got the guys that are US Air Force SIG or 30-second scale SIG and stuff like that. You've got the guys that uh, it's their, their town, their village, their city. They've got the club there. So you'll have a whole diverse range of models on that one display stand, you know, and it's great to see, you know, you'll have the sci-fi stuff, armor, aircraft, cars, you know, and it, and it may not be your chosen sort of subject and your you know your interest but when you see a really really nicely built model regardless of what it is i love the fact that you stop and often you you talk to the guy who's built the model and they'll exactly. be explaining yeah. techniques that you didn't know about because it's not something that you would use for a piece of armor but you go oh, actually i wonder if that would probably work and you know and and i it's great to you go away with just little snippets of new knowledge that you can hopefully put into the next project you're on and, you know, make it imp- improve it. And or make new friends, you know, uh, you. Absolutely, uh, yeah. John and I have new friends from that show uh, because we spent time and we talked and, you know, you're sharing this thing that you have in common, this passion uh, for this hobby. And, you know, you see people that have completely different styles or approaches, but then you also, uh, you know, make new friends, which ultimately 
is the best thing about these events and these shows. You know, I noticed your pictures from uh, uh, World Model Expo. There's a lot of pictures of you uh, with <laughs> great big smiles on your face and some kind of a beverage in your hand. And really, I mean, that's why would you know we go to Omaha. And it's it's the same thing. All the the contest is great and the seminars are great. But I'm going there to hang with my friends. And then when you you know you have John come over there. You know, we had Sam Dwyer come from Australia. Mm, yeah. And, and uh, the on the bench guys and Pat from Ireland and Ivan, you know, it's just it's it's the best part of 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 the hobby is meeting each other at shows. Oh, absolutely. And and I, I love the fact that, you know, thanks to sort of social media, you can now, you know, I, I always say that if I was to pick a random country to fly to, you guarantee you'd know someone you know, is from the hobby that you may not have met them in person, but you've chatted online and it, it just, it's made the world a smaller place. And it's, I love the fact that you can have friends from all over the world. You know, obviously I know Sam personally, you know, Sam's come over to Euro quite a few times over the years, the, the Australian guys come over and it's great. And we're, we're like really good friends, even though he's, the complete opposite side of the world. <laughs> and and the, the, the only bugbear is that, you know, there's eight or 10 hours <laughs> different. So, you know what? I could be messaging first thing in the morning and he's just about to go to bed, you know, but, but it's, you know, I I absolutely sort of love that Um, at at the world model expo, you know, especially with lockdown and you haven't seen people in person for a, a good couple of years. And it's, it's like meeting up with long lost old friends, you know, and, and you can almost carry a conversation on that you finished was cut short two years ago. And it's like you only saw him yesterday. You know, and I, I really, really like that. Yeah, there's no question. And hey, for future reference, if Sam visits the UK, he likes gondola rides over, <laughs> over high elevations. <laughs> so, but, but, you know, you know, like you said, just getting getting to meet those people, no matter where they live and, it, you know, they share your passion, you know, it, it's just incredible. Well, John, I think you wanted to kind of uh, yeah. get into a little bit different topic. Yeah, and it, it kind of goes along with you know what we've been talking about, friendships, sharing your work. And I'd love to rewind the clock because I, I don't really know your personal story, Spud, and, and how you kind of got all involved with publishing. I think you know as we look back to the 90s and early 2000s, that was the best way to get your work out there and get to know people. You know, your name, many others from that time frame, missing links that I, I just remember and always, yeah. you know, looked up to their work. So as we talk about passion, connecting with friends, can you give us a backstory on how, how did you, like, what was your first modeling article and what made you go, you know what, I'm going to write an article and put myself out there? Um, I can't actually remember what the very first article was, but um, it was for uh, Military and Scale, obviously when Spencer Pollard was the editor. And um, I, I had that really competitive spirit, you know, I'd grown up doing motocross and got into modeling and, and it was that, you know, you'd go into the news agents, see the latest issue of a magazine and think, well, I've built that model and mine doesn't look like that. And then it was that, that craving to improve. So you'd read the magazine and discover what techniques they've used. And I started entering quite a few competitions and I did quite well. And obviously initially uh, where I'd entered a competition, um, someone would photograph the model because it got like a gold or first place or something. And then I was then approached by like editors, you know, and say, would you like to do an article? And it was that, you know, not having the first clue. And they just said, oh, you need to try and photograph the model as you go along. And then, 
write an article and, and I remember the very first article I wrote was written on a word processor, you know, not, not even a computer, you know, and it was, it was, a, and, and then taking the photos with like a 35 millimeter film camera and, you know, and of course what would happen is now you, you know, you take your image and it's a bit blurry or it's under overexposed. So you just take it again instantly. Back then, you know, you'd have a roll of film, you take the photos and you just had to pray that they were going to come out because by the time you developed them, you'd moved on. And if the photos hadn't come out, too late you you know it was a one-shot deal you the model was then painted so it was it was quite a steep learning curve and then just sort of went from there I you know so I did quite a few articles for military and scale and then started writing for the Tamiya magazine which I did quite a few articles for and I then left the air force and the publisher the owner of the, the it was ADH publishing back then a guy called Alan Harmon asked if I'd like to edit a brand new armor magazine that they were going to publish so you know it really was sort of in at the deep end you know i was kind of like my what we'd say like our o-level english you know qualification which you know i could sort of string a sentence ish together and and when i first started editing you know my editing style was just have like the punctuation shotgun and just fire it at the screen and wherever all the commas and full stops landed that's that's where I broke the sentence up, like, you know. Um, and then, yeah, and then sort of uh, went from there. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was uh, just found it really difficult, you know, to start with, to think, what do you write about, you know? And it's the same thing I say to anybody who asks now, you know, it's like a little bit of background on the model if you know it. Start with the whole, you know, what you enjoyed about it, what you didn't enjoy, what details you've added, painting. And I always liked if someone can impart a little sort of, tip or secret that they've got so the reader actually feels that they've gained something from it instead of just being you know i glued this together i painted this and it becomes quite monotonous and it's not an enjoyable read so yeah that's kind of how i sort of started really i hate to think how many articles i've done over the years now well i tell you what i'm super jealous of your diorama mag shirt right there Need to get me one of them. All right, yeah, thanks to Perry. Yeah, he, he gave me this one, um, the World Expo, which was really nice of him. That's awesome. I look, I look up to his, you know, publishing. He is with Abram Squad, you know, it, in the diorama mag. I mean, you talk about inspiration in in print. That's as good as it gets. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I just wish I could dedicate more time, but unfortunately, like a real world job gets in the way of my my modeling. You know, and it, it would be lovely to have like the uh, whole day to just glue models together and you know but it doesn't pay the bills unfortunately so uh you know and this i i'm one of these people that like a, an awful lot of us you know you're in doing your work which is your you you know yeah the money to pay the bills and live off of and instead of focusing on the job i'm thinking oh, i can't wait to get home and paint this or do this or or i'll maybe one of these really sad people that lays in bed and i'm can't sleep because i'm like right i need to remedy this or how am i going to approach this and, preach, uh, preach. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I'm, so I'm glad I'm not the And I always remember there was like a, a, a meme came up on on social media, and it's the husband and wife laid in bed together, and she's got the speech bubble saying, "Oh, you know, um, he must be having an affair. He's gone really quiet. He's just that and the other." And I think this, the one's going, why won't my motorbike start? And it's like where, you know, <laughs> she's thinking the world's falling apart, right? you know, and, and all this is just a typical bloke thing where he's going, mm, you know, and, and I've laid there and think, oh, God, please, can I just go to sleep when I'm thinking, how am I going to mix this mud? Where am I going to get in? <laughs> so, yeah. 
Well, I can relate just... to that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I my, my L70. Yeah, that L70 <laughs> I'm working on. It's like I'm going to bed thinking, how can I make this not end up in the bin? Yeah, I failed. <laughs> And then the worst thing is when you get up at three o'clock in the morning and you go downstairs or you go into your workroom and then start working on it and you just think, oh, I'm going to be in a right mess when I try and go to work later on. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or you wake up and like your Facebook messages has just exploded because you're in like group <laughs> chats or you check online and you're like, oh, man, they gave me this feedback. And I'm like already thinking, how am I going to do this? And it's you're like 745 running out the door to go to work and at work all day, like you said, you're just, you're completely distracted because you're like, man, I can't wait to get home and try this or, or work on this. And then God forbid a package is showing up that day from overseas. <laughs> yeah. You're like, Nothing else matters. <laughs> like I need to get home and open this from, you know, the, the Octo jig I just got, I was like tracking it, like almost on by the minute, like seeing the DHL truck come around the neighborhood bend and there's me <laughs> out there waving at the delivery man. So I totally get it on all aspects of the hobby. John's got drones up chasing the FedEx <laughs> truck around the neighborhood, you know, so he can see what's going on. Well, uh, John, I want to talk about something that I know you share our passion for here at the Posse, which is the social media and the role in the the hobby community and specifically mm. contributing and making a positive impact. Maybe can you speak to that a little bit? Because, you know, I, I notice whether it's your own posts or, you know, what you're you're talking about on other people's posts, that there's there's always kind of a consistent theme to your to your uh, comments. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, like as we were saying, it's really made the world a smaller place and it's just an amazing hub for people to share information, knowledge. You know, I know there can be sort of negative aspects of it as well. But, you know, I, I, I just think it's helped so much. And, you know, I tend to sort of, I hate it when you see like the really negative stuff. There are always trolls out there and stuff like that. But I tend to be one of these people that if I've seen someone's kind of made a mistake, yeah, there's the types that go out there and, sort of bash away at the keyboard and make themselves feel bigger by putting someone else down. I, I personally would rather just message them individually and sort of say, oh, by the way, did you know this, that, or this might be a way to improve it. For me, it's just the core value that I've got is I just want this hobby to succeed and to not fade away. So uh, yeah, we lost you, John. There, but it looks like yeah. uh, looks like you're back. So anyway, just uh, you'll you'll message people offline and kind of make suggestions on how uh, they can maybe ad- address what you've seen. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's um, like I say, being negative, as we discussed earlier, if it it can put people off, they can. It could be enough that they think, you know, this either the hobby's not for me, or I'm not going to interact socially anymore. And again, as it's a topic of conversation, you know. An awful, when I say a portion of modelers are probably quite sort of solitary people. It's a solitary hobby. Generally, it's not like we're playing soccer, football, you know. So the interaction that they get is through social media an awful lot of the time. And, you know, it's not, there's nothing worse when you've got the keyboard warriors that are out there and they take great pleasure in bringing someone else down. And you just go, you think, what is that contributing to the hobby apart from your own sort of self glorification you know yeah you you actually it's been detrimental yeah i mean we feel like um you know we we have people message us all the time and uh you know, we feel like it's, I don't want to sound too smug on this, but, you know, we feel like we have a responsibility. You, the, the bottom line is you don't know every person out there and where they're at. And so you can choose to make a contribution in a positive way and try to help somebody, 
or you can, you know, make a comment and, you know, I'm not going to speak to what everybody else wants to do, but I just feel like, you know, it's really, really important that we, like you said earlier, try to be an ambassador for what is really a great community, um, a yeah. great community of guys overall. And yeah, once in a while, there's a, there's a person here or there that, you know, maybe, maybe doesn't have some advanced <laughs> social skills, but why not be an ambassador? Why not bring somebody into the hobby and, and, and help somebody because you never know uh, what con contributions that person makes or maybe how that affects their lives in hopefully a positive way. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, the, I think that the greatest accolade is, you know, I, you know, you go to a show and someone comes up, introduces themselves, says, oh, you know, you've mentioned this or I've read this from one of your articles or something. And, you know, and then again, it, you know, it's, it could be a new friendship or it's just at the bare minimum, the fact that you think oh, I've done something nice there, you know, I, I, to quote another sort of line from another film, it's Bambi with, um, you know, with Thumper, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all, which I try to, but, I, you know, but I obviously it's a little known fact that I was the UK sarcasm champion from 1998 <laughs> to, to 2000. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, and, and obviously my friends you know sort of close personal friends all know me for what a nightmare i can be with, with it so but I, I try to be on my best behavior you know and and i like say because at the end of the day you know it's, no matter how thick skin people sometimes come across you know it could be just that one comment can really sort of have a negative effect and it's that but you don't actually know what's going on in people's personal lives you know the only interaction you see is they put a model up there and it maybe not to your liking or not to the standard that you know your yours may be but that person's enjoying what they're doing it's their release their escapism so don't knock it yeah you know yeah. i i'd just like to you know back up a little bit i think i share your a lot of your sentiments especially around social media social media is great i i would bet that a lot of people are probably this way where at least for me when i got into social media for the hobby i was posting everywhere and you know it was almost like yeah finding my way, finding the yeah. group, like each, each group on Facebook kind of has their own personalities. And, you know, the, and that's the beauty where you can mm. find hundreds of groups. And I think for me, when I I'm getting to the spot where, you know, there are the core groups that I like to post in and one that I've really loved lately, and, and I'm maybe a little biased, but the plastic posse podcast group itself, yeah. I think is starting to transition you know, transform into a place where it's it's really got a good attitude and approach. And and in addition to that, John, I wanna I wanna echo your comments. Like I'll I would rather message someone one on one and talk through a build than try to post something on Facebook because so much gets lost in like a sentence where they could yeah. perceive it as like, oh gosh, rivet counter, you know, coming in hot. Where it's like, hey man, no, it's just like, hey, hey, one quick thing about this build, like X, Y, and Z, or hey, maybe consider this where it's a little bit more delicate and intimate on a one-on-one -on -one and hopefully they feel, and, and I've appreciated in the past where someone reaches out, you know, from an accuracy issues, like I'm building a Sherman and they're like, actually, you know, those tracks weren't used. I'm like, Hey, thanks, man. You know, this build, I'm kind of committed already, but I really appreciate that feedback. I'm going to log it for the next one. And I think that's what I've loved about social media is I've kind of found my way. And I think a lot of modelers do. And, and if people are frustrated, just keep looking because there is a place out there for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I know a lot of the modelers have like their own personal uh, Facebook page and then they'll open up a page 
just for the hobby. I, I haven't got around to that yet because I don't feel that, you know, I can really warrant the time to, to have a specific pace. So what I tend to do, it, for example, um, Dave Parker set up the, you know, 116th scale stug build page. So while I'm building a stug, that's where my focus has been. Really enjoyed the Stuart page on the M5 Stuart, which was for all scales, but obviously I was posting the progress of the, you know, the 116th scale Stuart. And, you know, there's a Vietnam into China page, which when I finally get around to getting on with the M48, I'll, that'll go on there. So I tend to not post models on my personal page purely because most of the guys I was in the Royal Air Force with all absolutely ripped me to pieces for, you know, being such a, <laughs> such a, such a, such a geek of that. But no doubt it all probably comes up on those, that page anyway. So I'm probably blissfully ignorant that all of these people already know how sad I am. Like, you know, but in my little world, I think I've still got some kudos with the outside world. <laughs> well, uh, I want to talk uh, for a minute with you about uh, maybe what's next for Spud um, after the Stug, and then also if uh, any of the new releases uh, have you really excited. We we talked to um, Andy Klein about the new uh, Tacom One Sixteenth Scale Willys Jeep, and also the Easy Eight Sherman. Uh, we're really stoked about that. Of course, there's a new Comet, but uh, what are you looking forward to? Um, exactly that. I, you know, I could not contain my excitement. The, the Easy H Sherman, 76 mil turret, either sandbag armor or the Expedient Jumbo with the extra armor on the front is just one of my all-time favorite vehicles. I've built a few 35th scale ones over the years. And to see this in 16th scale, which just seems to be my new chosen subject, and, <laughs> you know, I've been really, really enjoying it. So I was so excited. And but on two fronts here, I, I hate to be one of these people that, you know, goes on social media and sort of says, oh, I'd love to build this, but I haven't got one. And, you know, it's almost like a like a, a cry for someone to go, oh, I've got one you can have. Um, I think when obviously when I was on last time, you guys said what would be my ultimate. And I said, oh, the 116th scale Yag Tiger. Well, a friend of mine called Dan Brooker said, I've got one you can have. So I feel really bad that I've now got this Yag Tiger, which was incredible. Obviously, we met up at the Bovingdon show last year and he obviously, well, sorry, earlier this year and he gave him the model. And then when I opened the box and it was just like, oh, what have I let myself in for? Having only built the Stuart at that, that time. Yeah. And, the, you know, from building the Stug, from the Stuart to the Stug, I was like, oh, okay, it's a little bit bigger. Obviously, my partner was like, these tanks are getting bigger, you're building. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> you're, just, you're just viewing them from more closely. So that, that's, that's a proper British joke. It's from this uh, comedy series, Father Ted, where he sort of says, oh, what are they? And he says, oh, they're cows. And he said, oh, they look really small. And he said, well, they're a long way away. You know, so anyway, it's a silly, a brilliant joke, but very silly. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the Easy H Sherman, really looking forward to that. And that that's probably going to be my next build where, again, all the, the shelf queens that I've got that are 35th scale are unfortunately going to get pushed further back to the back of the shelf. But, um, yeah, so... That's the one that I'm, I must admit, I'm really looking forward to. And it's given me the impetus to finish the Stug because I know if I don't finish the Stug before that Easy 8 arrives, the Stug's not going to get finished. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you there. Well, uh, Daniel Brooker, you know, he took part in uh, our group build, got us a fantastic model, sent it all the yeah. way across the pond. He, he's a great guy that doesn't, you know, and, and you, you know, we were talking earlier about how this community um, with just a few exceptions is terrific. I mean, I don't know what those Yog Tigers cost one uh, sixteenth scale, but I know that they're not, they're not 50 pounds. I mean, those no, are no, no. significant. So the box weighs about that much 
Yeah, and, exactly. And interestingly, that uh, from Andy from Andy's hobby when he quoted uh, the percentages of models that are sold that have got full interiors compared with kits without an interior. And the first thing I did with the Ag Tiger was I decanted it into a smaller box by cutting all the parts off the screws uh, that I can remember what number that part is. Like I basically. I had no interest in got rid of most of the interior parts because I'm mm-hmm. just not going to build it with a full interior. Sam Dwyer's done that. I'll take yeah. my hat off to him to do it. And obviously I've seen Dave Parker with his Panzer four and the latest issue of, you know, AFE modeler that says like, you know, the four year build. And I'm like, no, I've lost interest way before then. So, um, so yeah, it's just going to be a, a model of the outside really. Nice. I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be incredible. Definitely. Man. I love it. John, this has been a fantastic conversation. You know, you hinted on it a little bit as we, you know, as we want to share your work with our listeners, where can they find your posts uh, routinely on, on, on the socials? At the moment, it's the 116th build page on Facebook. Do also, when the models are finished, I tend to put them on the weathered models page, which I think has about 150,000 people like that that page so it does get a, a really really large audience which is strange though because if you post a model up or when you see people post models up they'll, they'll get like a, a couple hundred or, or more likes and you think well where are all these other people then why, why are they you know but, but i guess it's all to do with the old algorithms on facebook that's often talked about you know so but uh, yeah that's that's pretty much just it's generally whatever the model i'm building I'll have joined the page that's relevant to that that build. So I don't tend, and I have posted on Smear page as well, on Marcus's page. So yeah, it's kind of, I really should sort of centralize and maybe this could be the impetus for me to set up a you know modeling page, you know, just of my own, own works really and see how that goes. It seems like most of the other, you know, a lot of the other guys do that and they all seem to have done really well with it. Yeah, it's, I would highly recommend it, especially now. I think Facebook has done a great job with updating the way you can actually interface between your personal profile and your page before it was kind of really hunky. And now it's like, literally, I just click a button on my phone and I flip over to Closet Modeler. So I would highly recommend it. I, I think you would, you know, garner a great following and certainly we'd love to see more of your work and, and have one place to go and see it because uh, it's, it's just awesome and inspiring and i I think it would really really you know gain traction with a lot of people and they'd find inspiration from it as well thanks very much yeah i think i'll something i'll definitely look into you seem to also be pro level at uh, vacationing uh, with your partner. So, you know, maybe you could do like, like some YouTube, YouTube uh, videos on uh, vacations and modeling. Yeah, I know. I've, I've had friends that said, oh, you know, you two should literally just do like a travel blog, like, you know, so um, for all our sort of little vacations and stuff we do. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I should, should do really. That may be how I can make my millions. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Get in those uh, likes and subscribes, right? Yeah. I, I think, the, to be honest, they don't. Uh, People would only want to see photos of Sarah and not really be interested in, in me at all. Like, you know, so. Well, uh, Spud, man, thank you so much for hopping back on with us. It's always a blast to join. I am uh, green with envy at my friend uh, John, who's going to go over and spend some time with you. Definitely will uh, send along some money for you guys to have a couple of beverages uh, on me while you're over there and uh, look forward to uh, hopefully sooner rather than later meeting you. In the meantime, uh, always a always a chair here at the Posse. If you want one, it's fun to talk and uh, Thank you. Keep, po- keep 
keep posting uh, pictures of your great work. I will do. Thanks very much for having me on again. Really, really enjoyed it. Bit like Andy, very nervous, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, old pro, you're an old. This is great. <laughs> we'll have you back. You're always welcome. Thanks very much. Thank you. Take care. Cheers. That was a really great interview and we had a lot of fun talking to Spud and we are going to have an absolutely amazing time when JB comes over for Telford. We're going to hang out, we're going to talk models and uh, he's going to be sick of us by the end of the weekend, but it's going to be a great time. Doug, do we have some feedback? We have some feedback. All right. We're going to start with Greg from North Carolina here in the USA. He started uh, back into modeling back in April after about a 15-year hiatus. He sent us a picture of his King Tiber Tiger from 2002, discussed what he'd done with it at the time and asked about the last 5%, I think, regarding that model. Speaking of that, what do you guys think? Uh, We didn't have TJ on last time to talk about the last 5%. Give us your impression on that real quick, TJ. I'm glad you asked because that was actually one of my ideas. Um, Not just my ideas. I think Ivan was there too and John, but uh, we both were in the road to Breckenridge and we were like, yeah, "Yeah, we should should talk about that. Yeah, I, I... I'm guilty of it and I have no problem with it. If you post a picture and you're like, Hey, I'm 95%. What can I do? Um, some people are kind of dismissive of that. Like, well, why would you do that? Because that is hard when you're putting the finishing touches on a model. A lot of times that's, that's, I know me personally, I struggle there. So you guys, I know all will all see models that are almost done. I put them on Facebook too. I, I just don't care. Yeah. Cause that's hard getting that little bit like to, push yourself over the hump and and call it done because that's at least for me where you get like super lazy and like that ah, if uh, if i don't weather this one part no one's gonna notice and then you put that picture up there like yeah i'm almost done and someone's like hey you're gonna yeah you're gonna do this part um case in point when i was doing the prowler uh so a couple weeks ago i sent some photos to one of the group chats and i think aaron aka dumbo and uh <laughs> i don't remember who else i definitely aaron was like hey what about this tank on the back was it ivan i don't listen to ivan it's like hey what about this what about this i listen to winners that, that would be Aaron. <laughs> i like people who win awards uh oh yeah sorry i won by default <laughs> uh he he was those guys were hey what about what are you gonna do with this one tank i'm like yeah i think it looks fine uh because i didn't do anything to it and uh i was wrong and i that it was done i actually pretty much consider that done but i shot it over to you guys before I put anything on Facebook or like on um, in my gallery and I fixed it and I'm glad I did because if I didn't ask it would have been done and I would have looked sucky so yeah yeah I agree. Well, in all fairness, I struggle with the first ninety-five percent. Um, but with the fi- the final five percent, yeah, I think nearly all my finished builds on Facebook, I say near enough done. I'll never say hundred percent completed. Because I always always know that it might look finished in my hand, and then I take pictures, and I look, it's like, oh, I didn't notice that in person. So yeah, the, the, it's like teacher said, that final five percent is sometimes really hard, and it takes for other people to see it. But yeah, it was a great topic of discussion that unfortunately I wasn't there for. But yeah, I'm as I'm as guilty as anyone for being near enough. All right, I'm going to move on with Ilya Yut. He uh, says he still listens to us while he's stuck in traffic, um, and it really helps out there. Um, In early episodes, we talked about modeling as a solution for hard times in life. His two senses 
that his in his case it's the opposite when life is hard his modeling uh, excuse me his modeling mojo drops to zero anybody else have that problem i i know i do sometimes i think it depends on how how hard life is and and how much i rely on modeling to help get me through it i'm the same way doug i if if I'm really, really stressed from work and stuff like that, it's hard for me to sit at a table and concentrate on working on something. I should because it helps clear my mind. But if I'm really stressed, uh, I just, I don't know. I lose, I have that mentality of squirrel. You know, there's something, oh, squirrel. And I just, I can't, I keep changing my mind and I keep changing my mind. I keep on, and it causes me a little bit of problem. Uh, Yeah, um, it depends for me too. Sometimes, you know, when you're not feeling right, Modeling doesn't help. And sometimes it does. I know for me, I went through a long period of time where I didn't almost model for a year. And then I got to the root of what was causing my problems. I fixed it. And then I wanted to model again. And then it made me feel better. It was one of those things. I think we've talked about it before. My modeling made me, I wanted to model to make me feel better. And I felt better. So I modeled. It was like those, you know, like two combined. They were, they were like hand in hand. Right. So yeah. But sometimes, yeah. If, <laughs> if I have a crappy day, I'm just going to sit there and play video games and then go to bed um, because it's way easier than walking over here and painting something. It is amazing how, um, TJ, how symbiotic it is. You know, sometimes you can, I think, pull yourself out of a funk or like Grant said, clear your head. If you kind of force yourself to go down to the bench, but there's other times when you just have low energy or you're uh, upset about something. And I found it that it's a mistake to go to the bench because you're just going to you're going to force it and then you're you're going to make a mistake and it's just going to kind of compound it. I think overall, if you are in a good place, it's good to spend uh, time down there and blow off steam, forget about your work day and uh, everything. But yeah, it isn't always it isn't always going to work. It's not automatic. Yeah, um, it's something I've I've said quite a lot. You can't force it. I, I've tried with the the agpans uh, that I'm doing. I, I physically can't make myself get to the bench to do it right now. I've got zero motivation to build. I think I've found what's causing that. But yeah, like TJ said, instead I've been playing games, watching TV, doing anything kind of but be at the bench because I can't make myself be here. Because if I don't want to be here, making myself be here is not going to make me feel any better. I recently moved my uh, PC into the model room from the room it's been in. But my my house has been such a madhouse lately. We've got more and more people coming in until uh, house other homes are built. Uh, it's just going to be crazy here. So I moved the, the PC into the model room, and now I'm sitting in the model room even when I'm playing games and it's actually been a, a plus for me. I know some of you guys already have your, your computers where you build, but I look over to the side and I see something sitting there and I pick it up. And the next thing I know I'm working on it. I wasn't planning on it. I actually didn't feel like doing it. And, and two nights ago with that, with that Achilles, I spent two and a half hours doing assemblies and painting and stuff and having a blast. I'd come down to play a game of world of warships and then go to bed. And so I was up till like one o'clock in the morning working on a kit, but Hey, that made me happy. All right. We have a uh, we had a comment from Joel Munson. He said, fun fact about the Roman Lapat zombie diorama we mentioned in the last episode. That was actually a group build. He had people from all over the world painting little zombies and sending them over for inclusion. Yeah, Joel hopes that Roman does something like it again so he can participate. We have another one from Zach Pease. Great interview with Andy. He really does add a lot of positivity to the hobby, and he just gushes when it, when he talks about it. He said, a side note, Doug's self-depreciating depreciate, moment about y'all being inspiring is not needed. 
I started listening to you guys somewhere around episode six at the heart of lockdown, and you've gotten better and better. Because of you guys, I suggested my local club Zoom meetings during lockdown, and you've inspired me to broaden my horizons to new subjects and genres and have been a great distraction as I worked through through some tough job-related anxiety last year and early this year. What's more is you as a group have managed to discuss topics relevant to the hobby that could be sensitive or prone to flame wars elsewhere and have done so with class and encouraged good-natured discussions. Sorry for the long-winded response, but honestly, you guys are and continue to be an inspiration, and you have really increased my enthusiasm for our hobby. The posse is a force for good, my friends, and thanks for all that you do. Well, thank you, Zach. And I'm never self-depreciating. I want you to know. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. I, we really do appreciate your feedback on that. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Finally, I just wanted to say something on top of all the feedback we got. There's more we couldn't get to. There's just not enough time in the day. to. I mean, we really appreciate everything that, that, that you all do. But if everybody wants to participate, did you know that we have, we have multiple Facebook pages? We have our Plastic Posse podcast page where we share news and updates about the podcast. But there's also The Plastic Posse on Facebook. Um, where everyone's welcome to come out and share their stories, share their builds, share uh, anything they want to, ask the questions they want to have answered. um, And you can go there to see all kinds of stuff, all kinds of builds. Martin Drayton's amazing Colonial Viper, uh, Zach McClendon's Char, Pete Kokloff did a T3485 that's beautiful. Rob Miller did this bitchin' little XP56 Black Bullet. Just cool stuff. Some things you'll never see anywhere else. And it's all there on the plastic posse. So uh, we, we invite everybody to participate. It's a lot of fun. All right. Let's talk some social media shout outs. Uh, first of all, I want to say if I use some from the past, I'm really sorry, but I looked through all the episodes and I don't think I copied anybody's from the past. So I'm going to do two YouTube and I'm going to do an Instagram. Let's do the Instagram first. Uh, as I mentioned last, last time we talked and uh, Doug just brought up from a comment, Roman Laplatte. R-O-M-A-N-L-A-P-P-A-T dot mini uh, miniature art on Instagram. You need to follow him. He has some fantastic work. His his color, his design, and his figure painting is unbelievable. And the uh, listener was right. That was a group bill. It had over, I can't remember, like maybe like a thousand little figures on it. And one was very small, but it was just beautiful. He's also done some really good picture frame dioramas lately um, of Space Marines, a Space Wolf that is his recent one followed. Uh, he did a uh, Age of Sigmar one that was also, he also has an Etsy page under the same name, Roman Laplatte where you can buy PDFs of his work and he shows you how he does his work and his diorama work also. Let's go back to YouTube. Uh, another figure painter that's really, really good in my opinion, it's uh, Ninjon, N-I-N-J-O-N. Uh, if you don't know who he is, he did a little, he was with uh, Maniac or Maniac for a while, but he also also stitched on his own. He is a very, very, very talented painter with color. Um, he does some great conversion work and he also does some great uh, Warhammer work. He uh, went to uh, a couple of the uh, Games Workshop's open houses in England this last year. He's also done uh, Golden Demon um, when we had one here in the States for the first time in a long time. Uh, He's fun. He's funny, very funny. Um, And it's just a good listen to him. You'll learn a lot of stuff. I learned a lot of stuff from him. Like He actually has episodes where he talks about which tools to use. Um, and which he uses. And sometimes they're not the most, you know, tools that we all use and have to buy. You can get them at a hardware store. So it's really good and interesting. 
And the last one's a little bit of a stretch for me, but sometimes I love to sit down and watch this guy on YouTube. His name is, uh, I can't pronounce his name because it's in Japanese, but the site is called Car Model Channel. It's a very simple car model channel. He does some phenomenal car work. I'm I'm a big fan of car modelers because the, what they can do with paint and the way they build cars and take a 124th scale plastic kit and open the doors and put full interiors in it. This guy takes it to a step above. He's been doing this for about in his bio for about 50 years. And it's some of the most unbelievable work you will see. He, he takes a, a model kit and just can basically rebuilds the whole thing um, from everything. And most of it is scratch. And it's beautiful. If you have some time, check him out. Car Model Channel. That's about all I got for today, guys. Awesome. Thanks, Grant. Well, uh, we missed him uh, last time. Uh, and so uh, bringing TJ back, uh, we were talking about earlier kind of what our discussion point would be. And uh, he had a great idea. So, TJ, I'm going to give you the mic and uh, let, let's uh, talk. All right. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, so one of the um, discussion points that we jotted down when I was riding in the car with uh, John and Ivan back a little over a month ago, unfortunately, seems like just yesterday. But um, one of the ones we were talking about was social media, and it's no secret, and I know we've mentioned before, uh, social media gets a, a bad rap, and a lot of it's deserved. I'm going to act like it's not. However, if you push past all that noise... Uh, we, the three of us, all pretty much agree that it, there it could be a force for positivity um, instead of just negative crap, just nonstop. And um, I don't make any secret that I unfollow a lot of people that I just don't feel like listening to. And a lot of them are negative about anything, not just modeling, just life in general. Um, not it, It's OK to have negative feelings. I'm not I'm not one of these toxic positivity people. However, when you constantly broadcast and that's the only wavelength that you operate on it does kind of get tiresome especially when it comes to modeling um because i i don't think it's also any secret that modeling brings a lot of people a lot of joy uh there's five of us right here six if you include john who's not here tonight uh we could, probably could all say that modeling has brought us a lot of joy and it's just to, to speak on the positivity of social media scale modeling uh, this podcast exists because of social media because that's how I met Scott, and then that's how I met Doug, and that's how I met Grant, and that's how I met Ivan, and that's how I met John. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't really know where I'm going with that, other than if you tune out the bad and just focus on the good, your social media experience and scale modeling can be a lot better. Yeah, I think, uh, TJ, that's a great point. Um, there's a couple of kind of technical things that I want to talk about. When I get on my social media feed, I don't want to see politics or a lot of news. I want to see that incredible power suit that TJ just put weld beads on, or I want to see that figure, that Thanos bus that Grant just painted, or Doug's latest A-wing fighter, or you know, um, Ivan's Yog Panzer that for some reason um, he can't see very well. We need to get him some glasses. That's what I want to see, and so I think the the. <laughs> Doug just uh, held up his A-wing. I think where that starts is I think it's important to whatever social media platforms that you're on. Uh, we do a lot of stuff on Facebook. It's important to prune your feed. You know, Facebook has some useful tools. If you're going into, say, 
an election cycle and you know don't don't send me hate hate mail it's just not what i want to see on facebook you can uh give people a 30 minute nap where a 30 day nap excuse me where um you just kind of uh, tune out the noise a little bit or like uh like tj said you can unfollow people if they're if they're kind of being toxic and so i, I think it's important to weed your feed and trim your social media accounts to where you're comfortable and then the other thing is you can participate in groups and I'm going to be a little bit pat patting us on the back. Doug mentioned earlier the Plastic Posse group page and we've got a little welcome message when people join that and we make it very very clear uh that the rules of our group is um you don't bring in spam, politics, religion, but most importantly you keep things positive. And I'll tell you that all six of us are moderators and we have booted people from the group and will continue to do so uh to make sure that you guys feel uh like we have a space where we can collaborate as friends and modelers and discuss things um in a positive way. We won't won't have anybody uh trolling and and you know I don't I think some people might think that that approach isn't realistic, that maybe that doesn't help people improve or whatever, but I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's just all all about approach. And, uh, you know, TJ mentioned we wouldn't be here without social media. I also think we we probably wouldn't be here um, without, you know, positivity. All of you guys are uh, modelers and friends that I look up to. You're all very, very positive. And, uh, man, it's something that really I, I really enjoy hanging out with you, even though a lot of times it's virtual. I really enjoy that. And then I, I also think social media, guys, is a reflection of social interaction. Like when we go to shows, that is the best part of this hobby. I mean, bar none. I mean, building models is great, but the social part of it is absolutely the best. Yeah, if if it weren't for modeling, I wouldn't have Facebook. For the past week or two, I've despised Facebook. And I completely, some people need like a nap or an unfollow or just silencing because I've seen a lot. Of, I don't want to be the negative guy, but I have been for the past week, so it's fine. But yeah, for the past week, all I've seen is not nice stuff and so many people on my facebook it's just like dude shut the f- up uh it just just stop like it's annoying because then you see the other side and it's just people being nice and supportive to each other and like it's been said i wouldn't know any of you if it weren't for social media it can have such a great effect on people it brings people who are extremely isolated and alone to the world it can be superb unfortunately you have a very loud minority which can completely cloud such a nice place so it's all yeah it's kind of like scott said it's it's managing your own social media only have people you want to see or hear from on your page or whatever uh mute people even if you don't want to unfriend them it's like it's been said you can you can mute them or silence them for 30 days just just do what's best for you it's something i've definitely learned this week that a cleanse is needed because it's not been great um so just do what what brings you joy and that's that's my preach over i'll get off my soapbox okay i'm i'm uh totally on the same page with all of these guys i actually have a very good friend some of you might know who i'm talking about who daily shares about a dozen pictures of waterfalls that's that's his his donation to positivity on the on the facebooks and uh it's great because hey this world's full, full of beautiful things yeah, social media has been wonderful for me, and it's been a curse. I I kind of I can have a very difficult time ex- uh, when I hear things that I absolutely disagree with, and I know that I'm not I'm not going to get into an, an argument with people. 
And there are people that have said some fairly horrible things that have, have really disturbed me. So yeah, that, that, uh, that mute button, that, that 20 days, the 30 day snooze, the, the unfollow is wonderful because I've found out through this hobby and my other hobby, my reptile hobby, that there are an awful lot of differing opinions out there. And, but most of us can get along and there are some fantastic people who otherwise I would never have known. And I love it. I love it for that reason. I just, I just, uh, I want to keep enjoying it. I want to be able to ask people questions and get answers. And that's really worked out well with, with our page and other similar pages out there. And, and I'm grateful to everybody that participates and is willing to answer questions and ask questions. And thank you all. I, I just want to agree with what everybody else said, but I just want to take a little bit different. Um, sorry to jump off the tracks here a little bit, but when I think of positive aspects, I think of you know how it helps me as a modeler. What does the internet or YouTube or whatever do for me to improve my skills? And I think of Martin Page, Night Shift, you know, and I think of, you know, TJ's, you know, his page and then, you know, JB stuff. And I think of, you know, Spud and I think of all these, all these people on YouTube and all these people that are on Facebook that they show how they do things. And it's such a positive aspect of the model that we didn't have before. And I can remember, and I'm the old one of the group here, and I can remember going to shows a long time ago, and you'd hey, you would ask somebody, how did you do that? And they would say, I can't tell you that. I remember those days. You don't have that anymore. Everybody shares, and that's very positive with this hobby. Now, don't get me wrong. I have some, I've, I've unfollowed some very big creeps on my page, and you know, I've had people tell me things that I would not repeat anywhere but, you know, when I think about positive, that's what I think about. I think of, you know, when I see Rick Lauer, perfect example, one of the nicest guys in the entire world. His work that I see is such a positive aspect of the of YouTube and his, you know, Facebook page and, and just such beautiful work and showing us and showing us exactly how to do it. You know, and I know a couple of us are Patreons of his and he's, a you know, and but what he does is phenomenal. And, you know, like. You know, there's people out there like Lincoln Wright, Brian Krug. We be, we mention these guys all the same time. They, I was in awe of Brian forever. I've known about Brian's page since the early 2000s, and I've always thought this guy was like walking on. You know, and I met the guy for the first time last year in Colorado. The most mellow, nicest guy in the entire world. He's finally getting his own hobby room. If that tells you something, he's been building all of his models in a kitchen. So you hear stuff like that. It's like we're all in the same boat and it's very, very positive. Lincoln Wright, you know, a guy that lived in Japan for a long time, got married, had a child, decided to move from Japan to Australia for his family, his daughter, you know, and that's positive. That's a great image to follow. He's such a great guy. And Lincoln, I'm sorry if I'm spilling any bad, you know, I shouldn't say, but look at you, man. You've been, look where you've come in just these many years. You've gone from this guy that just had a, a blog page and now you're putting books out and you're getting like guys like TJ and all these guys to put, you know, get, you know, line up to put your, their models in your books. And it's, it's fantastic. And that's what I think about positive of the hobby. It's funny. You mentioned Lincoln, right? My son who listens to our show, but isn't, has never followed modeling as a whole outside of maybe a little bit of uh, Warhammer. When he heard that we had Lincoln right on, he said, wow, he knows who he is. So Yeah. There's and there's others. There's others out there just like that. Yeah, there, there's a lot more. There's Duncan, you know, Duncan Rhodes from, you know, his, you know, Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy. We've talked to there, Andy, another perfect example. There's 
there these guys and and I hope you know that we people see us in the same amount is that they're a positive force for this hobby and when you 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 get so many people being positive the negatives kind of go to the side and you're going to have that no matter what you know every no matter how popular a thing is or how unpopular there's always negativity we all see it in our day everyday life it's what you as an individual decide what you want for your your viewing or your listening or whatever your building time how you decide and when you when you keep it positive you build better i don't care what anybody says you always build better when you stay positive when you're not positive, in my opinion, it doesn't look good. It reflects in your models. Yeah, um, yeah, you, you said it perfectly, really. Because I was just about to say, surround yourself with positive people. This week, I, I think I'm in a bit of the rut I'm in because I feel like I've been a bit surrounded by negative people. It, I don't care what anyone says. You are what you surround yourself with, and I'm feeling the effect of that this week. Um, what I need to do is go back to just talking to you guys and the people on the the posse page and all our friends because. That helps. You might not think it does, but it helps dramatically. Surround yourself with positive vibes. Yeah, Ivan, I would agree with you there. I, I, I think, you know, TJ and I, we, we've, we've uh, had this discussion before and probably with the rest of you guys too, but it's sort of like when you look at anything, whether it's a model or a situation that happens, um, I think you can usually find what you're looking for. You know, you can find the negative. You can find uh, ways to you know, sort of bring the people around you down or you can find the positive and you can build people up. But I think it's a choice. And it's the way that I, I, I think, like you said, surround yourself with great friends that inspire you and, and great friends that share your values and, you know, that are positive. And I think that's I think that's really, really great. You know, the one thing we always talk about is we're our, always are going to be our own worst critic. And so we we get in our own heads about our work um, and if you have the right friends, they're going to look at it and they're going to give you a, a lot more balanced perspective. And they're going to say, no, 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 this that's really, really good. This is this is what I like. And I think that um, certainly for me that that really helps. I don't know, TJ, what, how do you feel about that? No, I agree. I mean, <laughs> I probably couldn't say it any better, honestly. TJ, that was a, a great discussion point, as always, and appreciate all of your thoughts on that. All of you out there in the posse, we'd love to hear from you um, kind of on how you approach your social media and how you keep it positive. And uh, hopefully you guys all feel it's as big a benefit as as we do. Well, guys, I, I think that'll do it for episode 52. Really appreciate you uh, joining us again. It's been um, a great two years so far. We really appreciate your support. All of our pages are growing. Our Patreon is growing. Our you know this this community has treated us really really kindly. So um, just from myself, I just wanted to tell everybody out there, thank you so much. I wanted to jump in when you're after you were done saying thank you. Well, you know what? I'm just gonna do it now since. I already <laughs> interrupted you. Um, <laughs> thank you to the one and only Mr. Steve Baker because I sent him an M50 conversion kit from Def Model that I got on the Scale Model Graveyard for, again, a freaking steal. It's out of production. It's the best M50 conversion kit available. He didn't use it. And he's like, hey, I'm going to send this back to you. And I'm like, you really don't have to. He's like, nope, nope, I don't want it. I'm not going to build it. You have it. Okay. I was expecting this little tiny box to show up because it's just a, a little plastic baggie with one turret in it. I got a whole box with two reference books, decals, paints, and other stuff all for <laughs> Lebanese M51 Shermans or M50 whatever. 
the Lebanese Shermans, the super Shermans they use. Um, thank you, sir. You did not have to do that. That was very kind of you. I owe you. That's incredible. And uh, I'm also, uh, while you bring that up, going to shout out Mr. David Brian Bridges. He did a bunch of dealings with a bunch of us. All I'm going to say is, wow, above and beyond. Anyway, kind of to continue what we were saying, uh, thank you so much uh, from the Posse for these first two years. We appreciate you joining us as always. Remember to send your feedback, suggestions, and corrections to stuff that Ivan has said to plasticpossepodcast at gmail.com. And uh, in the meantime, we hope to see some of you out there uh, uh, when this drops. uh, We'll have already done it, but Grant and JB and I are headed to Las Vegas. Hopefully we get to see some of you there but remember to stay positive uh, visit your bench frequently and enjoy the coolest best hobby that there is out there Uh, take care guys we'll see you in a couple of weeks yeehaw